I love Jared Allen. Fear the frog. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. Jared Allen with the... This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, host of the podcast, lifelong Cavalier fan, voice of Fox Sports Radio. But let's just get into it because it's been a while since a podcast. And uh, to be honest, I don't have a good reason for that. I think I just was kind of waiting to see what would happen with this team. It's no secret. The defense dramatically fell off in the aftermath of the Jared Allen injury. And with some guys in and out of the lineup, including Evan Mobley, I wanted to see if we would kind of turn things around and tighten them up defensively. And I'm still not supremely confident on that end. Uh, And I think that's backed up statistically speaking in the sense that the Cavaliers have fallen precipitously from the early part of the regular season where they were the third or the fourth ranked defense. They were contesting shots, but there's, I mean, you don't need the statistics to tell you the story. I think what we have all come to accept is that the namesake of this pod, Jared Allen is an integral part of the defense. And despite Evan Mobley's dominance and incredible versatility and ability to protect the rim left alone, it's far less impactful than when you put that duo out there of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley side by side. And that's supported throughout the course of the season, and especially since All-Star break. Because since All-Star break, you have a Cavs team that has been the 24th-ranked defense. That is unacceptable, considering how good we started out the year. And that, along with the 19th-ranked offense, is not going to get it done. And it's why you've seen a giant fall-off from this team as a whole reading articles, perusing the internet, doing as one does, and stumbled across an article about the Rookie of the Year race. And there was a table in it. It was on the ringer.com, uh, I believe. And there was some interesting stats in it, one of which was the difference in the lane production teams have against the Cleveland Cavaliers defensively. And one of the eye-opening stats was it gave a five-year sample. this year and the four years that preceded it. And teams, on a consistent basis, between 2018 and the 2021-22 season here, they regularly scored around 24 to 25 points a game. However, this season, that number dropped to 15.5 points a game. And the points per possession fell as well. So his ability... Evan Mobley is unquestioned. He can cover a lot of ground. He can put pressure on guys who go to the rim, and he can even deter them from going to the rim. But having that guy behind him in Jared Allen has allowed him to be even more menacing. He doesn't have to worry about getting back nearly as much, and that's when the true potential of the Cavaliers' defense has been at its greatest. Now, unfortunately... The news that came out today that Jared Allen will not be a part of the play-in game against the Brooklyn Nets is very upsetting because in the most recent Nets game, Andre Drummond had a bit of a revenge game. He had his way. He double-digit rebounds, high double-digit rebounds, had moments where he was able to kind of bully Mobley a little bit. Now, Mobley was very good, got some blocks on him, held his own. He's surprisingly strong despite his diminutive frame, but 
you feel a lot better when you have a guy like Jared Allen out there, if not only to match up with Drummond, a guy that you can tag team Drummond with. Because clearly, despite all of the criticisms that Andre gets amongst Cavs fans due to primarily his ball stopping and offense, which, and I realize we don't watch him as much because he's a backup now, his role has changed greatly, but that's really what the Cavs wanted of him. And when he was here, he was taking 15 shots a game, shooting under 50%. Now you have a guy who in Brooklyn is shooting over 60%, only taking eight shots a game and still averaging double-digit rebounds. That is exactly what we wanted Andre Drummond to be. So it's hard to say, am I more pissed at Kyrie, the way that the whole end of the Cavs run went, or am I more pissed that Drummond had a chance to just kind of be the guy that he's being right now with the Nets, but for whatever reason, he was incapable of accepting limitations and controlling ego when he was a Cleveland Cavalier, because he still is a very productive NBA role player at times, who unfortunately just could not accept being a role player in Cleveland. Can you imagine with the situation that we've had in terms of backup center minutes, if he could have been the type of teammate and contributor that a Kevin Love has been for the Cavs this season instead? And I like Moses Brown. I hope the best for him. But there are times where he looks just outclassed out there. He's certainly not on the boards. He tries very hard on rebounding. He is a hustle player. But there are times where his recovery, his anticipation defensively are a bit lacking for a guy who could be a much more imposing rim protector if his instincts were just a little bit better. And certainly his touch is non-existent around the rim. But to Dre, he is still one of the most difficult guys in the league to stop from getting second chance opportunities. And when we're taking on a team that has Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant playing the way that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are, we have to slow them down. Now, admittedly, Kyrie Irving closed the season incredibly. And and I don't mean that as a large sample because he did have a bit of fall off in the last week or so, but that final game against the Pacers, he is by and large the reason why the Pacers attempts to come back. They tied the game up at one point in the third quarter, but despite that comeback when they were down by over 15 points, Kyrie Irving poured it on in the fourth quarter and slammed the door shut on the chances of the Cavaliers having home court advantage in this playoff play-in game that we're going to see here. So it's never an easy task to stop either of those two guys, but what we can't get into a situation of is allowing them to get lots of second-chance opportunities. And that means keeping guys off the board. And not just Andre Drummond, Bruce Brown, an incredible rebounder for his size, and a guy who's shooting very well from three-point land. Now, that's a guy who I regularly watch when I see these Nets games and think, this is a dude who made the right choice by opting to come back this season because he's proven to be an excellent role player. And truthfully, at times, when I've watched those Nets games as they've taken on the Cavs and he's chipped in and in key moments, I often think that's the type of play that I like to see out of our wing players, whether that be Stevens or whether it be Okoro. Now, Okoro is not the rebounder Brown is, but his three-point shooting has taken a noticeable leap this year to the point where if you had asked me going into the season, I never would have thought that I said on corner threes, I would choose Okoro over Windler. Windler was a guy who I felt like, despite the fact that he'd had limited opportunities to crack the rotation, was still someone with a pure stroke, 
and a better resume when it came to three-point shooting at the collegiate level, even if that hadn't kind of mapped over to the pro level yet. But as this season has worn on, it's become apparent that Isaac Okoro, for all of his criticisms, of which I would say he's still not the most assertive player, although you could argue, does he really need to be in the sense that we have a lot of mouths to feed, but his three-point corner shooting has been a marked improvement. I, I like Stevens better in the capacity that he is the type of aggressive, opportunistic, push the pace, take advantage of the shots that you're given type of guy that I think you see out of a dude like Bruce Brown. But collectively, they've been a very impactful, positive contribution. Unfortunately, Levert, moment to moment, you just don't know what you're going to get. And that's sort of been the story of the second half of this season is that the Cavs still show you moments where you see a guy like Garland in the fourth quarter explode, or you see what Kevin Love did in that final game of the season where he was just on fire, helping the Cavs run out a first-half score that was nearly 80 points and hitting multiple three-pointers, going double-double in the first quarter, basically, and finishing the game with one of his best games, if not the best game of the season. Shades of that game where he came out and banged down eight three-pointers. It felt like that. In the first half, the first quarter especially, that was a game they needed to win. And admittedly, the Bucs were not playing to win. So you can't get too hyped about the results. But still, going into the postseason, having a game where we got valuable contributions from Osman, from Markinen, from Love, those are all the kind of key role players who are going to need to excel alongside Garland, alongside Mobley, alongside Levert, if we have any chance of securing our playoff spot in this first game of the play-in tournament. Now, in the bottom half of the play-in bracket, and a potential opponent for the Cavaliers in the second game is, of course, either Atlanta or Charlotte. My money would be on Atlanta. This is a team that's played much, much better in the second half of the season, and certainly we've had our problems with Atlanta since the All-Star break. We did get the one win against them early in the season, but... We had a crushing loss to them in February, I believe it was, where Trey Young just went to the line again and again, scored at will against us. And that's a team that, while I wouldn't put it past the Cavs to beat any one of these teams that are in the play-in tournament, it really is going to come down to what kind of defensive effort are we going to get. Now, it could all be null and void if KD comes out and has one of those transcendent KD games. And his final game against the Pacers, he was picking that team apart with his passing. He didn't even have to really assert himself offensively. And that's quite the luxury to have when you have a guy like Kyrie Irving back in the lineup full-time playing alongside him. So am I optimistic that the Cavs could beat the Nets here? Sure. It's hard not to be in that final game when they looked absolutely fantastic against the C squad of the Milwaukee Bucks, but that is certainly not the way they're going to be defended against a top level effort from the Nets. This is not a team that wants on their resume, the shame that is now going to follow LeBron James for that season that he strung together there with the Los Angeles Lakers. So going into tomorrow's game, it is going to be an uphill battle, but there are a few things I think if we see will translate directly to a victory. The first one I've already spoke on. It is critical to keep second chance points from amassing for the Brooklyn Nets. 
Andre Drummond is the biggest component of that. Claxton as well, keeping them off the board, keeping Bruce Brown off the board. The second is you got to hope for a bad shooting night from Kyrie Irving. If if Durant and Irving come out and they put forth one of their super efficient clinics where they're getting to where they want to be, where they're getting to the line early, and where they're getting in the bonus early, then it is going to be a long night for the Cavaliers. Garland has proven to be fairly consistent here. I think we can all expect. He had a very good game last time that we played against the Nets, I thought. He's had a lot of really good games here late in the season. Mobley ended the season with a fantastic short minute showing. 18 points, double-digit rebounds, four blocks, and barely over 20 minutes. So hopefully, the worst of his ankle injury is behind him. And we're going to see a Mobley come out motivated because the other storyline, what got me kind of perusing the internet was this debate about rookie of the year that has all of a sudden cropped up. Now, for the longest part of this season, certainly after the first half, going into All-Star break, there was no debate as to who the rookie of the year was. It was Evan Mobley. Nobody disputed it because the Cavs were playing out of their minds. Statistically speaking, he was far and away the best candidate. He was the most efficient, and he had changed. He had been a part of a gigantic culture shift, not only an improved defense in Cleveland, but it also just improved winning. Well, unfortunately, what the second half of the season has seen is that his injury, coinciding with a big Jared Allen injury, coinciding with just overall some very difficult losses. Now, I know going into the All-Star break, I remember talking about how great the schedule looked in the second half, and it certainly did directly after the All-Star game, but they closed the season against some very difficult teams. And quite frankly, and not to be this guy, but I am going to be this guy, the Cavaliers have found themselves on the wrong side of some very difficult officiated calls late in games, calls that potentially swung games one way or another. Now, you can easily make that the case in the Philadelphia game where Darius Garland got fouled, by Joe, uh, Joel Embiid. And I'm not saying this just as a sour grapes fan of the Cavs. These were things confirmed by the NBA two-minute reports where they said, yes, Garland was fouled by Joel Embiid going to the basket late in the game there. And yes, on the very next possession, James Harden fouled Lowry Markinen while trying to get the inbound. So both those situations, two points off the board, a chance to score taken away, and then an immediate foul, which put Harden on the line, those were things that could have swung those games. And you're always going to have a difficult time getting whistles to the degree of superstars like Embiid, like Harden, but pushing 35, 40 free throw attempts for those two, that's quite the hill to overcome. And certainly it's something that you have to hope in the playoffs there's a bit more whistle swallowing. That has been the trend with a guy like James Harden. But let's not put the cart before the horse because the first thing here is going to be getting past the Brooklyn Nets and or the Hawks or Hornets. Could the Hornets beat the Hawks? Sure. But something to consider here. There has been a lot of conversation around how good Atlanta has been since January 1st or the All-Star break. Top five offense, top 15 defense. But one thing that does not get a lot of attention, or at least I haven't heard it, is that Charlotte, since the All-Star break, is the second-ranked offense in the league. Only 20th on defense, but keep in mind, Atlanta 
put together a stronger January-February than they did the close of the season. Because since the All-Star break, Atlanta has been the fifth-ranked offense and only the 17th-ranked defense. So these are two teams which are playing roughly the same level of basketball. Here's the main consideration, though. Trey Young has absolutely destroyed the Cavs this season. Averaged 33 points, 9 assists, but even more sobering is the fact that since the beginning of the year, now we did play them twice last year, and it wasn't as if he shot that well. He had some bad games. The first game of the season against us, 8 for 22 from the floor. Only shot 17% from three. But if you look at the last two games that Trey Young had against the Cavs, this is a guy who dropped 41 points, nine assists back in February, right before the All-Star break, and dropped 30 points with nine assists in the most recent matchup against us right at the end of March. So certainly, he has found a rhythm against the Cavs, and that has not only included scoring, but it's included efficiency. He shot nearly 60% in that pre-All-Star matchup. He shot over 50% from the floor at the end of March, and he made almost half of his three-point attempts, eight for 16, so half exactly when you take them in summation. But the first game, four for seven before the All-Star break, four for nine afterwards. And it goes without saying that this is a guy who gets to the line double-digit times every time he faces the Cavs, and that is a dangerous thing. That is something we have to avoid because it's something that we've given up regularly to these teams that we could potentially be facing. Not so much the Hornets, but either the Hawks or the Nets, who I think most people would say, well, obviously the Nets, we are facing them. But if we lose, in all likelihood, my money would be on the Hawks. Not only are you taking on two very high-powered offensive teams, but you find yourself in a situation where you may be giving away free points at the line, and you cannot afford to do that. Now let's move on from the the preview. I mean, we've all probably seen plenty of coverage on that. I wanted to talk about the rookie of the year race because I have said since, well, all-star break, really, Mobley is too far ahead of this race to lose it. And despite the fact that he missed this recent stretch of games with the ankle injury, and we've seen a fall off on a team level from the Cleveland Cavaliers, I still, and this is supported by the Vegas odds, I still believe Mobley is going to hold on for Rookie of the Year. However, I will say I'm not as defiant and confident as I once was. I still believe Evan Mobley is the most deserving candidate. I do not believe Cade Cunningham is a better candidate. I believe what is factual. He's putting up better counting stats on worse efficiency on a worse team with gigantic usage. Now, if all you care about is counting stats, and it doesn't matter how you get them or how many shots you miss or how badly those shots are taken in the flow of the game, then sure, give it to Cade Cunningham. And I do think he's going to be an incredible pro. You can't argue with what he's been doing late in the season. He's been achieving statistical feats that we have not seen out of rookies. He joined, he was one of 10 rookies to average over 20 points in five and five in the month of March. And I, it's, a, it's a rare class. I've been seeing accolades pile up. And certainly, if this was a full season award and he was doing this the whole year, I think even with Evan Mobley's efficiency and defensive prowess, he wouldn't even be in the conversation. But the reality is, Kate poured this on in 2021 as we got to the All-Star break moving forward. 
He's really taken it to another level because, quite frankly, the Pistons don't have anything to play for. He is given an exceptionally long leash. Now, again, that is all that matters to some people. I do think, though, that Mobley's numbers are impressive enough that when you factor in that his usage is exceptionally low compared to Kate Cunningham, we're talking eight to 10 points of usage. Kate Cunningham, since All Star break, is a gigantic. 30.2%. 30.2% for a rookie. Now, just to put that in context with something that we can all understand, that's higher than Darius Garland. That puts him in the ranks of guys like Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, guys who take massive amounts of shots, have the ball in their hands for massive stretches of the game. And that's not to say that they have a better option. They certainly don't. But the question you have to ask yourself is, are you going to throw a party for Cunningham and the differential in counting stats when he is clearly option A, whereas Evan Mobley has a lower usage rate? If you had to guess, now you probably know this as Cavalier fans, but guess who on the Cavs has a higher usage rate than Evan Mobley? We all would have expected Garland to, and certainly he does. Nearly 28. Kevin Love? Karis LeVert, Osman, Rubio, Sexton. So take out Rubio and Sexton. One's not with the team. The other one's been hurt all but 11 games this year. But that's four guys all above Evan Mobley in the pecking order offensively. And despite that, this is a guy who's put up numbers of 15 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game, 2.5 assists per game, with some of the best rim defense we've seen ever from a rookie. 1.7 blocks, 0.8 steals. This is a guy who is going to be a defensive monster for years to come and is already finding himself atop the ranks of shots contested, stops at the rim, his ability to slow down guys and get their percentages to plummet when they're they're going at him at the rim. So certainly Mobley's case is not one of counting stats, and we've had this conversation before, but there will be people who swing towards Kate because – In a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately case, Mobley has the worst case of all of them. It's not that he's been bad, but he missed five games in this final run of the season. And Cade Cunningham is out here dropping 25-plus points on a regular basis. There is a sort of feeling amongst people who talk about these awards and people who cover the NBA on a day-to-day basis. I think there is a desire to outsmart the room. Sometimes. The easiest choice, the thing that's been there the whole season, the narrative that's existed the whole season that this is Mobley's award to win. Guys want to be the one who are like, hey, you know what? I saw it coming. I saw when it shifted. Now, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't point out that I've done that exact thing with MVP. I was saying in bead the whole year and basically from the point that I saw the Nuggets take on the Cavs, I swung. I'm in the Jokic for MVP camp now. So, But again, that's kind of the popular consensus. That's the Vegas favorite. So I don't know if I swung towards the you know, flashy pick that, oh, no, look, the analytics support me, or if I just swung towards the popular pick after putting my weight behind Embiid because I just think he's a tremendous player to watch as well and has a good case himself. But I switched to Jokic. Maybe that's the same thing that we're seeing here. I was listening to the Rosillo podcast uh, yesterday or today or whenever it went up and they blew past the rookie of the year conversation like that. They spent all of two seconds on it. 
Uh, now, I don't quote me on which guy picked which, but I believe that Rosillo picked Cade Cunningham and Simmons picked Scotty Barnes. And they didn't dwell. They didn't make the case for why, well, maybe Mobley will win it. They just moved on to the next award. So it didn't even, in their view, warrant a more fleshed out conversation. And certainly, that's not a knocking their podcast. It was an entertaining listen, but kind of stung a bit as an Evan Mobley fan because I think what we've seen is that he is battling to hold out on this narrative here. Now, I'd still believe he's going to win because. Again, he has been the guy in the headlines the whole season, and he's the one who's probably the most highlight-friendly in the sense of we've seen massive blocks, even this last game. I mean, some of the block shots he gets and some of the plays he makes. Still, my favorite of this season may be when he blocked Zubach, and then they came down the floor, Okoro got the bucket, and he was so pissed for being humiliated by Evan Mobley that he just trucked Okoro in a very violent way. That was maybe my favorite little sequence. Actually, that would probably fall in second. Now, I think anyone who watches that Nuggets-Cavs game that took place late in the season, if you watched that game with Evan Mobley and you came away after seeing what he did to Jokic late in that fourth and in that overtime to seal that victory for the Cavs, if you don't feel like there's a tangible difference between the impact he has on winning and that of, say, Scotty Barnes or Cade Cunningham, then I don't know what to tell you. Maybe I'm watching the game with blinders on. But I think for a guy who's asked to seemingly do so little of what he is capable of doing offensively, because we do have, I'm not going to make the argument that he doesn't have better players around him than Cade Cunningham. 100% he does. Does that contribute to his lower usage rate? 100% it does. But still, if you can take a guy and drop him in at fourth, fifth, sixth in the pecking order, and he's still giving you 15 points and eight rebounds a game on great two-way play, what do we think he'd be capable of if his usage was above 30? I'd take that. If Cade Cunningham did this the whole season, sure, he didn't do this the whole season. So I don't know that that's a conversation that can be had. I think it's much harder to defend Evan Mobley's rookie of the year when you look at what Barnes has done. It's easy when you're debating Mobley and Cade to, depending on which side of the argument you fall on, you either enhance the counting stats portion of it, you enhance the usage and say, well, look, he needs to do all this. And, and I have never been a fan of using team results when it comes to individual awards. I will say, I don't care if the Cavs won more than the Pistons, and I don't care if the Raptors won more than the Cavs. That's a team effort. You can't give individual accolades based on, it's the same issue I have when we get into these all-pro debates the all-NBA teams, and they say, well, his team was, I don't care. What were his numbers? What was his efficiency? How many games did he play? What was his two-way effort? That's the stuff that matters to me, not the team results, because then you're judging a guy and his roster around him. You're, it's, not, it's not an A to B comparison at that point. Barnes, however, I will acknowledge that in looking at the latter part of this season and seeing what's happened, there are some things which Barnes has over Mobley. One is the amount of games played. He played five more games, and that may not seem like a lot, but 74 games, the guy was basically an Ironman. True shooting percentage was higher. His player efficiency rating was just slightly higher. His defensive impact, not as much, but certainly not a bad defender. Very long, very versatile. His usage rate, basically identical. His stats, basically identical. There aren't things that you can look at 
I mean, if you want to nitpick, you could make the same argument that where Pistons fans say, well, Evan Mobley has more help around him. You could make that same argument for Barnes and his defense. Whereas most people would acknowledge on the Cavs, the anchor of the defense is Jared Allen and Evan Mobley in some order, A, B, B, A. In Toronto, you have elite wing defenders all over the place. Fred Van Fleet, Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, all guys who pile up steals and deflections. And Barnes perhaps gets to capitalize a little bit on being overlooked by roving, by having that incredible wingspan, and by just being active and a smart player. Barnes beats Mobley on player efficiency rating, has a higher true shooting percentage, he has better win shares, he played more games, he has slightly less usage, he has basically comparable numbers. Yes, Mobley gets a bit of a nod on the defensive end, statistically, and a huge nod on the defensive end in terms of just watching the games. The eyeball test will tell you Mobley's better. But there will be some people who look at those two statistical profiles, which are almost identical, and say, what matters to me more is that Scotty Barnes played on a higher-seeded, more successful team, and not that he's the type of rim protector that Mobley is. It really just depends on the case you want to make. Now, I think Vegas thinks it's still Mobley, but there are some big names coming out in favor of Barnes, not dumb fans. Rosillo, he voted Barnes. I saw Kevin O'Connor. He was leaning towards Barnes. I am still going Mobley, which is not a shock at all as a Cavalier podcaster and fan, but certainly there is a part that hopes that what we get to see from Mobley and however long that this playoff run lasts is that the Mobley we got against Milwaukee was the Mobley that is rounding back into form and finally shaking the rust off of that ankle injury because he was starting to get on a tear after Allen went down. He strung together some big performances in the aftermath of the Allen injury, and then once he got hurt, he came back. He hasn't been as dominant as he looked right before he went down with that injury in those first few games back from the ankle injury. Still good. I mean, he's been like clockwork most of the season. He's a guy that you can look at, and at the end of the game, you're like, oh, okay, 15-8. and He was good. But it's the way in which he scores those points. It's the plays he makes on the defensive end, and it's the way that he helps keep the momentum going when we're on runs or stop the other team when they go on a tear that really kind of transcends just the statistical profile of Evan Mobley. The other narrative that has been creeping up, and I don't think it's going to happen, but the Darius Garland for most improved player. I have seen him in a lot of discussions in people's top three. There are certainly guys who get brought up all the time. Some of my favorites. Now, if I'm going by odds, Vegas odds say this. Morant, Garland, DeJounte Murray, Miles Bridges, Desmond Bain, Tyrese Maxey. All phenomenal players. Me personally, I would give Bain more of a nod than Miles because Miles really came on at the end of last season in a similar fashion to what we saw from Poole. Like he started stringing together last year when Hayward went down. Bridges started to pour it on. So I don't think he was as unknown coming into the season. Desmond Bain, however, took such a massive leap, not only in role, but importance and contributions, that I would probably put him above Miles Bridges on my own personal list. DeJounte Murray, incredible. He's always been a guy that filled the stat sheets. Morant, of course, amazing. And the fact that he was already such an elite player and made such a, a leap to get into that first team all NBA. Or MVP discussion, I don't know if that'll hold out now, but he is the odds-on favorite to win. Do I hope Garland wins? Yes. 
But if I'm going to put my money on one of the Cavs' award-winning prospects, it's going to be Mobley to win Rookie of the Year before Garland. I think Garland will have a top-three finish. However, if guys really want to lean towards young guys who came into their own, Bain or Maxey would both be excellent choices. I think if you look at Garland, Murray, and Bridges, they were more already on that kind of established breakout star level. And then it's just, what do you prefer? Counting stats, it's hard to argue with a guy like Murray, but his team hasn't been as good. Whereas Garland has really turned it on both statistically and in taking a team that was traditionally a loser and turning it around. Now, Morant has missed some games. Perhaps that hurts his case, but he gets so much coverage as it is. I think it's I think the Cavs will find themselves hard-pressed to find a situation where Garland beats out Morant for most improved player. But we have plenty of time to rehash awards when the season is over. Hopefully, this time tomorrow, this whole conversation about the Hawks and the Hornets and the Nets will be a thing of the past, and I will be changing my focus to that of the Boston Celtics and what it will take for the Cavaliers to shock the world and defeat a team which completely reversed fortunes with the Cavs. Cavs, incredible first half, terrible second half, comparatively speaking. Still not terrible compared to what our normal expectations are year to year. Boston, not great first half. Second half, amazing. So it will not be an easy run. The Cavs conceivably could have to go through Brooklyn, Boston, and Milwaukee. That would be very difficult just to get a shot at the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think any of us is expecting that. I certainly am not. But I would be content with them making it into the playoffs and giving a serviceable effort against Boston. That would be a success for me. I will be a bit disappointed if we rip off two losses here and just kind of slink off into the night with our lottery pick intact. Suck it, Pacers. But that's not what I want. That's not what anyone here wants. I want a victory. I want Evan Mobley to just dominate. I want Darius Garland to dominate. And as a Lamar Stevens fanboy, as this season wears on, I love his effort. I love his growing aggressiveness. And I hope that he has a chance to have a big game because he's had some tough whistles against him in the latter part of this season as he's drawn some difficult defensive assignments. So we will reunite on the Fear the Fro podcast to either recap play in game one, or to discuss the upcoming matchup against the Boston Celtics. I am Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cavs fan, host of the Fear the Fro podcast, voice of Fox Sports Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, Rate, review, do all that stuff, at Fear the Fro pod on Twitter. And uh, yeah, Cavalier basketball, Cavalier playoff basketball. It's taken a long time to get back to this point since LeBron left. But my, how our fortunes have changed. He's sitting home. I'm sitting at at my home right now, so I guess really not that different. But tomorrow, I will be watching the Cavaliers take on the Brooklyn Nets in a game with incredibly high stakes, which is all I could have asked for heading into this season. Go Cavaliers. More Fear the Fro coming soon. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic if you enjoyed what you heard today put it on the highlight reel please consider subscribing check out fropod.com for more cavaliers and nba coverage that's what's on display here